verses 1 through 15. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she is in labor, uh, has, who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people like dew from the Lord, like showers on grass, which delay not for a man, nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which, when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots, and I will cut off the cities of your land, and throw down all your strongholds, and I will cut off sorceries from your, from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. You shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Our second reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 2. We'll be reading the first 15 verses. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly 
and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, uh, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came, the star that they had seen when it, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good that we can gather again, and it was a joyful night last night. So it's really good to be able to get together and sing, to be singing again. We've had two readings this morning, one from Micah, one from Matthew. <coughs> Excuse me. This morning, we're actually going to focus on the Micah reading. On Christmas Day, we'll focus on the Matthew reading. So if you want the challenge again to find the book of Micah, turn back to Micah chapter 5, but I'll commence our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can come this morning as your people. Lord, who are we that you should set your heart upon us? Who are we that you should save us from our sins? That we can come to Jesus as King. So Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us this morning by your spirit through your word. And help us to hear what you would say. That we would give Christ all the glory and honour that is due to him. And Lord, that you would change us. That we would live as your people, declaring your praises especially at this time of Christmas, this time of Christmas, Lord, that we would not stay silent. We would declare the praises of Christ the King. In his name. Starts flipping pages from the So this morning we are in the prophet Micah. We're going to hear what it is that the Lord had to say to his people and to us too through the Spirit of Christ, because that's what we see. If you turn to the book of 1 Peter, you see that when the prophets spoke, they did not speak their own words, but it was actually the Spirit of Christ who was at work in them. So we're hearing. What Jesus had to say before he was born. And you find Micah, it's in a little part of the Bible which is referred to as the Minor Prophets. There are 12 of them and they're called the Minor Prophets because they're shorter. Micah, as we go through it, only has seven chapters, whereas Isaiah's got 66 chapters. And so Micah is referred to as one of the Minor Prophets. But if you have Micah open in front of you, if you turn back to the first chapter, we're going to see where Micah came from. 
because we might not be that familiar with who the prophet Micah is. And we see the word of the Lord, verse 1, that came to Micah of Morasheth. Morasheth was, was a little town in the country, in a region that's called the Shephelah. It's in the lowlands, in the foothills. If you came up from the sea, there'd be the flatlands, then you'd have the rolling foothills, and then you'd go up the mountains to Jerusalem. Metropolitan areas are up at Jerusalem in the top, whereas Morasheth was a country town. If you went there today, it'd be covered in farms. So Micah was the prophet from the bush. And what did he, when did he prophesy? We see in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So that means he prophesied at the same time as Isaiah, they were contemporaries. And it's around 750 to 700 BC. And what did he prophesy? It says, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So why is he prophesying about what he saw Samaria and Jerusalem and not Jerusalem alone? Well, we need to realize that Israel had split into two nations. Once Solomon had died, there was a civil war, and it ended up with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was made up of the ten tribes of the north. And often when you're reading in the Bible and it speaks of Israel, it's referring to the northern kingdom. And the capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. The southern kingdom was made up of the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin. Judah was by far the bigger tribe, and so the southern kingdom was often just called Judah. And the capital of Judah was Jerusalem. And so then Micah comes and he's prophesying against Samaria and Jerusalem. He's prophesying against all of Israel. And so all of Israel needs to listen. But it wasn't only for Israel, because as we read through Micah, you'll see that the prophecies that he had weren't just for Israel. There are prophecies mixed in that are for the rest of the world. For you and me, things that we need to listen to. And his prophecies had two key areas. One was judgment. Judgment that was to come upon Israel and judgment that would ultimately come to the ends of the earth. And the second part was the future hope and joy. Firstly for Israel, but then that joy and that hope would spread to the ends of the earth. Micah actually got to witness the fulfillment of some of his prophecies. In 722 BC, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom, just as he had prophesied. The people were taken into exile and Samaria was destroyed. About a hundred years after Micah, more of his prophecies were fulfilled. In 587 BC, the Babylonians came. They invaded the southern kingdom. They took this people into exile, such as Daniel and others, and they destroyed Jerusalem. The greatest prophecy about the coming of the ruler happened 700 years after Micah. And that's what we're going to focus on today because it's about the birth of Jesus. But there are prophecies in Micah that are still to be fulfilled. And so we need to listen very carefully because... Just as surely as God fulfilled the prophecies that he said about Samaria and Jerusalem and the coming of the ruler, so we can be sure those future prophecies too must be fulfilled. Because it's the very same word of God. Because Micah didn't speak his own words, 
Verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came. When Micah opened his mouth, the Lord spoke. These aren't what Micah had on his mind. This is what the Lord gave him to speak. And in verse 2, just a reminder again, listen carefully. Because it's not just here, you Israelites or you Jews. It's here, you people, all of you. Even us in Amida. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. And so what was the world like in the days of Micah? Particularly in Jerusalem and Samaria, what had caught God's attention? And so I'm going to give you a brief summary of the things. If you had some time this afternoon, you wouldn't need long. Just read through Micah. And this is a description of the nation of Israel, north and south. And it's so important that we listen because you will see this is what we are like. Our nation is just like the nation of Israel. Sin was everywhere. It had riddled the whole nation from the very top to the very bottom. People did not care about God and they rebelled against him. Idolatry was prolific. All sorts of things were worshipped. God was replaced with all sorts of things that they put their hopes in. Immorality was everywhere. All kinds of sexual morality were just out there. There was no real morality anymore. We read people would lie on their beds at night pondering wickedness and thinking up evil on how they could rob people or steal from people or profit. The hearts of the people were full of greed and coveting, never content, need more. Prophet Isaiah actually says, woe to those who had house to house to house, never enough. And it was the greed of the rich that was always hungry for more. And so they would oppress the poor. They would work out how they could get more money from the poor and fill up their bank accounts. The judicial system was corrupt. Judges would take bribes. Essentially, justice went the way of the person who had the most money. Whoever could put the most money forward, Today, it would almost seem you get the best lawyers, you're going to get the best case, you're going to get the verdict. The government, rulers and princes were corrupt. They sought to profit from the people. They were fearless. There was no fear of God in their judgments. Like our government today is becoming more and more not fearing of God, more and more less God-fearing, more man-pleasing, celebrating even laws that oppose God. The church was corrupt. People were spiritual. People would go and listen to the prophets and the priests and the preachers. But the people listened as long as the preachers told them what they wanted to hear. If they were happy with the message, they gathered. And so the preachers put messages together that would get the people together. False prophets forsook sound doctrine, even telling people that God was okay with the way they lived with their sinful lives. God, don't worry. False prophets told them everything's going to be okay. God won't judge you. God won't judge, punish you for your sin. The priests only engaged in their activities for money. Oh, 
will do my priestly thing so you can have your spiritual experience, but you've got to put money in the bag. And again, the priests too told the people that God won't judge them. People wanted prophets, priests, and preachers. Somehow they feel things are right between them and God. Men still trained for those offices and prepared themselves to go into that work. But they quickly changed the word of God. Preachers today take money. Preachers today preach for money. Preachers today tell people what they want to hear, never speaking of sin, never saying sin is sin. Preachers today will tell people God won't judge. They won't mention a coming judgment, no mention of hell. It's always peace, peace. That's with God, peace, peace, when there is no peace with God. Self-reliance was everywhere. People trusted in what they had. People trusted in their money. People trusted in their strength. The nation trusted in its armies. The nation trusted in their resources. There was no calling upon God. Likewise, no matter what challenges we or our world faces today, fires, droughts, the climate, whatever the issue is, it's always our devices, our ingenuity, our resources that we're going to try and use to overcome. There's no looking to God. The occult was right. They were given to witchcraft and sorcery and trying to tell the future. But that today, which is are active today. Open women's magazines, I think, still today. You've got your star signs and all those sort of things. People in business were corrupt, using dishonest scales. They're always out to try and get as much money as they could, even if it meant not doing a real deal. Looking to cut corners, do a second-rate job, but making sure you pay the full amount. The family had broken down. Children dishonored their parents. Sons treated their fathers with contempt. Daughters rose up against their mothers. On a whole, everyone was just unkind. People were selfish. People were concerned about me. People were proud. There was no humility. Sin, lies, violence. It's terrible. Read through Micah if you have a chance. People did not live righteously. People did not obey God. People did not want to obey God. They actually delighted in disobeying God. And still the people truly believed that if there was a God, the God of the Bible, the God of Micah, he won't judge me. So God was irrelevant. The Bible was irrelevant. Sin was irrelevant. That's the world we live in today. And that godlessness had spread like yeast everywhere. It wasn't just in the cities. It was in the country. It wasn't just in the governments. It was in the homes. It was in business. It was at schools. So we need to listen. Because we see as we look now at the teaching that is very made very clear how God interacts with a sinful nation. What God does to Israel is an example. 
that we all might listen. Remember that verse that we read, hear you peoples, all you, pay attention. Because we're about to hear how God will judge a nation that lives like that. Peoples who live in rebellion against God, wherever you are on the earth. Listen, watch, tremble. God judged Israel. God will judge the earth. Your day, my day of reckoning is coming. If we live in rebellion against God, God sees our sin. All of our sin. Your sin, my sin, in public, at work, at home, by yourself. God sees it. And he must judge it because he is righteous. The Lord will come down from heaven to earth. He will tread the places where there is idolatry. Mountains will melt. melt. Valleys will split. Waters will come down. Just as we have seen with the example of Samaria, which became a heap, a rubble, utterly destroyed. hundred years later, just as we have seen, Jerusalem was made a heap, a rubble, and destroyed. Again with Jerusalem in AD 70, made a heap, a rubble, and destroyed. That is the destiny for all who live in rebellion against God. God is patient. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in love, wishing none should perish. But all who persist in wickedness, the day of the Lord will come. Look at chapter 5, verse 15, the last verse that Jared read for us. And in anger and wrath, I, the Lord, will execute vengeance on the nations that do not obey me. On that day, there will be no crying out, it will be too late. Disaster will come, the wicked will be put to shame. They are weeping and wailing. Just as Samaria, Jerusalem, Sodom, Gomorrah, foretaste of what is to come for all nations, our nation. And it's not a new warning. It wasn't as though history had rolled on and suddenly Micah and Isaiah are stepping out saying a day of judgment is coming. Turn to the book of Jude, second last book of the Bible. We hear a prophecy from Enoch. In Jude, verse 14. We see that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own simple desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism, to gain advantage. The warning has been there for God's creation from the beginning of time. The day of judgment is coming. Words of doom weigh upon the earth. They're there right now. We can fill our lives with all the things that we fill our lives with at the end of the night. But the word of God weighs upon the earth now. 
That's why we need to stay in the Word so we wake up to the reality of what is now. If we are still in sin on the day of the Lord, we will not escape. But there's hope. There's hope. That's the context that we have Christmas. It's into this context of judgment, coming terrible judgment that God gives hope of blessing and joy that will be accomplished through his ruler, his chosen king, the coming of the king that we celebrate at Christmas. You see in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, why, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me. One who will be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And so what do we learn about the ruler, about his birth? Micah prophesied 700 years before that Bethlehem Ephrathah is where he shall be born. Bethlehem Ephrathah are two names for the same town. It seems Ephrathah is the ancient name. Bethlehem became a new name. It's only 10 kilometers south of Jerusalem. And the hope for every Jewish sinner, the hope for every Gentile sinner, is to look to the child who will come forth in Bethlehem. We read in Matthew, the wise men came from the east and they were sent to Bethlehem. Gentiles came to the king of Israel. Bethlehem means house of bread. And from Bethlehem came Jesus, the bread of life. Ephrathah means fruitful. From Ephrathah came Jesus, who will bring abundant new life. What do we learn about his identity? He's a man. We see that quite clearly. Verse 3. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor, Mary, will give birth. But this morning is the Son of God. He's not merely a man. Because we see that even before he was born, he existed, verse 2. The one who is to be born, verse 2 tells us, is the one who is from of old, from ancient days. He already existed, and yet he would be born of a woman in Bethlehem. That word, some translations will say, is from eternity. Some translations will say from ancient days. The Hebrew expression is for the longest period of time. The expression is used with God and the Psalms. It's pointing to eternity. John makes it very clear, if you know how... Gospel of John begins, in the beginning was the Word Jesus, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is with God in the beginning. Before there was time, Jesus already existed. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that has been made. Everything that's been created, he made. Which implies Jesus is uncreated, he's eternal. He is from of old. What does John the Baptist say? I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. 
John the Baptist was born before Mary gave birth to Jesus, but he says, before I was, he already was. Jesus is the God-man, the man from eternity, the ruler that the earth needs to look to is the Son of God who comes into the world as a man. That's the incarnation. We need to look to him. He alone is the hope of the nations. And what do the wise men do when they come? Matthew 2, verse 11. They fall down and worship him. And what do we learn about his reign? Because Jesus might have been born in Bethlehem. He was. Jesus might be the God-man, the King. But you have to take him seriously because of what he will do, what he is called to be, the King over all the earth. You saw in Micah 5.15, And in wrath, in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that do not obey. Jesus is the judge. As king of the earth, kings acted as judges. Jesus is the king of the earth. He will execute God's judgment on the earth. That's a terrible thing and a glorious thing at the same time because he's going to clean up the earth. He's going to rid it of all unrighteousness and establish his kingdom of righteousness. That's the most wonderful thing. But which side will you be? Will you be of the wicked who he must destroy? Judgment, righteous judgment. Or we be of the righteous, his people, his kingdom, who will share in that wonderful kingdom. He is the king who will judge, but he is the king who will save. It's made clear here that he will gather his people, those who are his, and he will protect them and keep them, and they will relish in his kingdom. We turn to say Isaiah 53, the prophet who was prophesying at the same time, that shows how he's going to be able to do that. How can the king gather an unrighteous people to himself? Because this great king was born to go to the cross. He came to drink the cup of God's wrath, the cup that the nations would drink. And it says he drank it to the very dregs. So that if you look to the king, there's no wrath on you. You have refuge, complete refuge with him. God sees you as righteous as if you'd never sinned. As if you were never like the nation of which we are. Lying, immoral, greedy, violent, proud, it's all washed away. He's the king who will save. That's why you have to take him seriously. If you put Jesus aside, you perish. Is the king will establish his kingdom over all the earth. Never experienced such a glorious world. But that day is coming. He will sit on his throne in Jerusalem. We get a hint of it. Look back at Micah chapter 4, verse 4. Rather than a world of violence, a world of unrest, a world of war, a world of yuck, it says, and each shall stand, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in strength. For the Lord, I haven't got my glasses, so I'm just trying to get the right distance. For they shall, every man, under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. No one shall have any fear, any way. For the mouth of the Lord, a 
of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. We see in chapter... Encourage you just to keep reading, otherwise we'd go all day. But it says he's going to come. He's going to secure this world. And it will be forever. There will be peace everywhere. That's the wonder of Christmas. It doesn't matter what nation you belong to. You need to be under the King of Israel. You need to humble yourself before him. If you accept Jesus this Christmas, you receive the greatest gift of all. You're a citizen of his kingdom. From wherever you live in the world. And it says, in that day, they're going to beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. A lot of gardeners amongst us. We have plenty of time. The world is messed up. But at Christmas we have the hope, the hope of the world, Jesus, and his kingdom will endure forever. When he comes, we will be with him forever. We will walk with our Lord and our God forever. And so we can rejoice, we celebrate. Because when we go out into the world, we can despair. But when we look to Jesus, we have hope. So this morning, do you share in that peace? Now is the time to make your peace with the King. He's died on the cross so that if you come to Him, He will take away all the wrath that is coming upon you. Have you made your peace? If you're someone who lives for Jesus already and you've found Christ as your King, be happy. Keep in the Bible so you can stay happy. Keep being reminded of the promises, they're real. Keep knowing that all that he has done and will do will happen. Remind yourself of what he spared you from. Remind yourself of his glorious kingdom. So much of the world just makes you feel yuck or just overwhelmed. Come back to his word and see the promises and rejoice. Then live for his kingdom. How does the king want you to live now? You'll know this passage, Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He's told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to walk in righteousness, to not be caught up with the corrupt systems of our world, but to oppose them, to look out for the poor, the widow, the vulnerable, and to care for them. To be kind like Jesus. To be the good Samaritan wherever you go. To love kindness. To walk humbly. Put your pride aside. Walk each day with Jesus. And be like him. That's how God wants us to be. And what a blessing to the world. When we live the way the king wants us to live, it's a blessing to the world. It's how we live out love. Finally, tell people. Tell people what is coming. 
Tell people judgment is coming, but tell people that Christ who died on the cross is risen from the dead. He's seated in heaven. He has all power and authority and he is coming to establish his kingdom. A kingdom that will never end. So be happy, rejoice, live for his kingdom and spread the word. Just as God in his grace sent people to you the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in Christ we have hope. Lord, please fill our hearts and minds with the truth that we would not live foolish lives in the world, but we would live with Jesus. And Lord, that the truth would fill us with joy. So Father, we thank you this Christmas that Christ has been born in Bethlehem. We thank you that he has all power and authority. His kingdom shall never be thwarted. You have established your king on Zion, your holy hill. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish all that you have promised. In Jesus' name.